we are in Colossians 2. We're still in this Colossians sermon series. Uh, Nick and Jeremy started us off with chapter 1. Um, so thankful um, that I've had the last two Sundays off. One, just having some time off. But two, I'm so thankful that we have such a great, by God's grace, such a great preaching team here at Solid Rock. Uh, Jeremy and Nick um, did, both did a great job. Um, I was actually here the Sunday Nick preached, and somebody said, what are you doing here? I'm like, well, this is where I go to church, right? Like, so, <laughs> so it's okay if I show up when I'm not preaching, right? Uh, but then Jeremy did a great job last week. Um, so I just wanted to say that we're really blessed as a church to have such a great preaching team here, and I'm really thankful for Jeremy and Nick, uh, Nick stepping in and giving me a couple Sundays off. Uh, but they started our sermon series in Colossians 1. We're going to cover most of chapter 2 today. Um, and as we get started, just a couple of things. One, I want to talk a minute about um, the theme of the whole book of Colossians really is the supremacy of Christ. Now, that's not that surprising of a theme to find in the Bible, right? Like you would expect the Bible to talk about Jesus and make a big, big deal about Jesus. But where the disconnect comes is that it's not just about the supremacy of Christ in a book of the Bible. It's written so that there would be a supremacy of Christ in our individual lives, right? And, and so for all that Jesus means to you, he's not quite preeminent right, and supreme all the way. Like, I believe if you're a Christian, you love Jesus. He, he, he means a lot to you. Um, he, he is more than likely a significant part of your life, but we're in a process as Christians of becoming more like him and making him more and more preeminent day by day. So it's not just the theme of the book in the Bible that we're talking about today. We're really talking about is that Christ would be preeminent and supreme in our lives as his followers, that's my hope and prayer through this sermon series. Now, um, a couple of things I want to go over. First of all, chapter one has already made this theme abundantly clear. So let me just hit some, some bullet points and some, some highlights from chapter one that set Jesus apart as, again, supreme and preeminent. Colossians 1, here's some things that you guys have covered. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus created all things. Jesus is the head of the church, and Jesus holds all things together. Jesus is the beginning. He is the firstborn from among the dead. Jesus reconciled to himself all things and made a way for peace through the cross. Jesus has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. That's a big deal. On what merit should God allow you to spend eternity with him? What qualifies you, Christ's follower, to get into heaven? It's Jesus, right? He has qualified us, not your good works, not your attendance, not doing things for people, serving others. Those are all great things, but that doesn't qualify you to get in, right? So what qualifies us is Christ. He has qualified us. He has presented us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. All of this was chapter 1, right? Verse 18 in chapter 1 really sums all this up by saying that in everything he might be preeminent, which means to be what? To be supreme, to be exalted, to be most important. Now, I said earlier, I think Jesus is important to you, but his desire and his rightful place in our lives is what? To be most important. Right, to be exalted, not just when we gather here on Sundays, but on Mondays, to be supreme, to be preeminent. Now, chapter two, 
We're going to read the first four verses together, and, and chapter 2 is going to have a specific focus now uh, and application of the supremacy of Christ, starting in verse 1, Colossians 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Listen to verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So most of what Paul is going to be writing about in chapter 2 is in an effort to protect the church and the individual Christians in the church from being led astray by plausible arguments. Matter of fact, if you back up to, to verse 2, here's the goal for the church, he says, let me just read it again, that their hearts, our hearts, may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach something, to reach the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Right, so we have some assurance, but many of us still struggle with doubt. He said, our goal is to get you to full assurance. Right, so if you're in Christ, you have, you have understanding of who Jesus is. Right, you have knowledge of who Jesus is. But Paul's saying, listen, my goal, though, is to get you to full assurance, full knowledge, full understanding, so that, I'm saying this to you, so that, no one may delude you or deceive you with what? Plausible arguments. Now, that, that word for plausible arguments doesn't just simply mean arguments that make sense. It actually means arguments that are enticing. Arguments that are attractive, that, that draw you off track, which is the age-old tactic of Satan, right? That's what happened in the garden. It wasn't that Satan came to Eve and, and simply deceived her and lied to her. He enticed her, right? He said, I've got something better. And he took what was true and twisted it just enough to make it enticing. I'm going to issue just a warning to you um, as you grow in Christ. Half-truths can be more dangerous than altogether not-truths for the Christian. Okay? And I'll give you some practical examples. So books you read. You, potentially you read books other than the Bible. Fantastic. I do as well. I hope you enjoy reading. And I hope that God uses Christian authors to encourage your faith and to stir your passion for him. Right? But more dangerous than books that are just not Christian at all are the ones that are almost true. So back when I used to have an office here, I had a bookshelf behind uh, my desk. And I had a whole big section of books that I would refer to and that I would loan out. My Christian books with solid theology within them. Then I had a section of clearly marked secular books, right? Books that were not written from a Christian perspective, um, but that were clearly set apart. Because I think it's important to know how non-Christians think and, and what those arguments are. But then I had a section, if you're looking at the bookshelf, the top left were books that were so-called Christian books that I wouldn't dare let anybody read. Because they were almost true. I'll give you some examples of how half-truths can be more dangerous. Here's a half-truth. God owes me something. God doesn't owe you anything. 
right? But, that, but it's almost true, right? So God is not obligated to anything in the universe but his own character and his own will. Now, it's to our good, right, that he is so obligated to himself because his character and his will lead to our good. But he's not obligated to us. Are you with me? He's obligated solely to himself. But if we, we take that and turn it into a half-truth, God owes me something, then the first moment that things don't go my way, now I feel justified in being angry at whom? God. Right? Because why? Because he owes me something. He's supposed to give me a good life. He's supposed to make things easy. Here's another half-truth. God wants me to be happy. Now, it's true that the goodness of God leads to joy, but the goodness of God leads to joy even in the midst of suffering and pain and heartache and brokenness. And so, see, you take that truth and you twist it a little bit to God wants me to be happy, then the moment that something's happening in my life that I'm not happy about, right, either A, God has forsaken me, he's left me, he's ignoring me, or I must have made God mad, I've really ticked him off, and so now he's punishing me. You see how dangerous half-truths can be? God doesn't desire to make you happy. He desires to give you a supreme joy, but he doesn't desire to make you happy, and he owes you nothing. God wants me to be comfortable. That's not true. But wait, isn't he the great comforter? Absolutely. But sometimes God's comfort is uncomfortable for my flesh. It is. Sometimes he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. And that's not comfortable for my flesh, but in the midst of that discomfort, I find a holy comfort that sustains me. You with me? And so like when I listen to podcasts, I listen to podcasts, I have my gospel-centric, solid theology podcast, then I have a section that are altogether secular. So I'm not looking for truths in there, I'm looking for how the world thinks about things. Why? Because I think half-truths are incredibly dangerous, and as Paul says here, they can be enticing. And they can draw you away from what is true and derail your Christian journey. So Paul is saying, listen church, my goal is that you would be knit together and you would grow in a full assurance, full knowledge, full understanding of the mystery of God, which is Christ, and not be led astray by plausible or enticing arguments. Matter of fact, he'll say later, let no one pass judgment on you. Then after that, he says, let no one disqualify you. So this chapter is meant to keep the Christ follower on track. Verse six and seven. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, what Paul is addressing here is what I believe to be one of the greatest misunderstandings uh, within the church. So here, here's how it worked in my life and see if, if you've come across this or maybe you've experienced it. So when I became a Christian, I was 15 years old and, uh, and so I, I had gone to a church camp and I had, had, had gone for social reasons and, and in the midst of that, um, God met me there and, and saved me and I came home radically changed. I had no church experience really before this, especially on my own initiative and all of a sudden I want to go to church, I want to be baptized, I want to be a member of the church, I want to be there on Wednesday and Sunday, I want to be involved. Everything had been radically changed for me such that my mom was like, hmm, I need to go visit this church, see what's going on. And then six months later we were both baptized there at this church. 
Uh, but when God radically saved me, this particular church environment that I was in was great at sharing the gospel that leads to salvation. The problem happened right after that. Because after that, everything became a journey of works. Right? So we're saved by grace through faith. But after that, if I don't want right, to give in to temptation, it's up to me. I've got to be strong. Right? I've got I've to buckle down. And the problem I'm struggling with sin is because I'm not working hard enough. I don't love God enough. Right? And it was this works-based system that I was taught. Now, maybe you've experienced something like that. And I think this is what Paul is getting at here when he says, listen, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So pull those phrases apart. What does he mean, as you received Christ Jesus your Lord? He's talking about your salvation. I think Ephesians chapter 113 says it just beautifully. In him, in Christ also, listen, when you heard the word of truth, what's the word of truth? The gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So that's the process by which we are saved. What is the process? You hear the word of truth, which is the gospel. You hear it, and what? You believe it, right? We are saved by grace through faith. That's the manner in which we are saved. And he's saying, listen, as you received Christ, how do we receive Christ? We heard the gospel and believed it. Now he's saying what? So now walk in him, right? Don't change your method now that you're saved. This idea of walking in him is the idea of the way that you live your life. Live your life by faith in the gospel, right? We're not just gonna say walk by faith, right? Because that could be a kind of a, you can apply that generically. I'm just walking by faith. Right? God wants me to have this new job, and I'm just walking in faith. He's going to give me this new job. Now, God may give you that new job, but he doesn't owe you the new job. And if he gives you the new job, it's not to make you happy. If you're looking for happiness in the new job, you're going to be sorely disappointed, right? Because we've all had new jobs. <laughs> right? So you follow me? So the manner by which I'm saved, I'm saved by grace through faith. Now he said, listen, don't change your method. Keep walking in that. Not just random faith or generic faith, but faith in the gospel, the word of truth. Now, this is, this is a difficult thing, I think, for some of us to grasp. So I understand getting saved, I hear the gospel, I believe it, but why do I need to hear it again? Because we are prone to forget it. So why we just sang, remind me. If you're a Christian, the words of that song were not new. It was not new theology, right? Jesus won, we know that, right? Remind me. Why? Because I'm prone to forget it. I'm prone to be saved by grace through faith and then try to walk this thing out in my own strength. Paul's saying, listen, if you do that, people are gonna, they're gonna delude you. They're gonna, they're gonna get you off course. They're gonna distract you. They're gonna entice you into believing half-truths. Do not leave the gospel. The saved person needs it just as much as the unsaved person. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. And here's what happens. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is a beautiful description of the sanctification process. That's a big word, I know. So when we talk about salvation, we will oftentimes use the words justification. But then what happens after that is where sanctification begins. So sanctification is, listen, it's the process by which you as a Christian become 
every day more and more of what you already are in Christ. You see how difficult that concept can be? If you're a Christian right now, we, we just read in chapter one, right, that he has done what? He has presented you to himself as holy, blameless, and above reproach. How many of you guys blew that on the way to church today? <laughs> yeah, right? So I don't look on the outside like what I am fully on the inside. So the sanctification process is this journey I'm in, walking by faith every day becoming more and more of what I already am in Christ. As you receive Christ, so now walk in him. We walk by faith in the gospel. And here's what happens. We become rooted. This idea that my, 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 my belief, my faith goes deep, that I'm not shaken. And not only that, but I'm being built up and established, abounding in thanksgiving. Who wants some of that? That sounds good, doesn't it? Rooted in my faith, built up in my faith, established and not shaken. Well, here's how you get there. You walk by faith in the gospel. Verse eight, he reiterates his point of why he's saying this. He says in verse eight, see to it that no one takes you captive. Remember, they're trying to entice you. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So how do we guard ourselves from not being deluded or enticed or taken captive? We walk by faith in the gospel. Listen, Christian, you need to hear the gospel tomorrow. You probably need to hear it multiple times tomorrow. You need to hear it on Tuesday, Wednesday, right? We need to hear the gospel being sung over us. We need to get together and sing the gospel together so we're listening to each other sing the gospel. Now, it's no surprise then where Paul's gonna take us in just a minute. Where? Back to the gospel. Wait a second, didn't you already cover that in chapter one? Right, you see Paul, you feel Paul's kind of angst here to say, listen, don't leave this. Don't walk away from this, this teaching, this foundational truth. Before we get there, verse nine and 10. For in him the whole, this is about Jesus, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. We're gonna talk for a minute about those two verses. This is where Paul reminds us of the preeminence and supremacy of Christ, but then he applies it to our lives. Like it's one thing to say, okay, I believe Jesus is supreme. He's exalted. He's preeminent. He's the ruler of the universe. Well, what does that mean for me in my practical everyday life? Um, when I used to teach these two verses to junior high and high school students, I would use a Tupperware illustration. And I would bring up on stage five pieces of clear Tupperware, all different sizes, from really small all the way to really big, okay? And so I would start with the littlest one, this clear Tupperware, and I would write the word God on it. And then I would talk about how uh, verse nine says, for in, in him, that's Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So then I would take the next biggest one, I'd write Jesus on it, and I would take the God and I would put it inside of Jesus and seal it off and say, listen, everything that was God was in Jesus. The fullness of God, right, dwelt in Jesus. But then I would say, now here's where we come into 
uh, this equation. I would take the next biggest one, I would write the word you on it. And I would take the lid off of it, and I would take the two Tupperwares, Jesus, full of God, and I would put them inside of it, and I would seal it off. And I would say, not only that, what Paul is telling us is that the fullness of deity dwelt in Jesus, and now that same Jesus is in you. And he brought with him the fullness of God. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? But that's not all that Colossians said. Now I take the next biggest one, and I write Jesus on it again, and I would take all three of those, and I would put it inside of that one and seal it off. And on the outside, it would say Jesus, and you could see through all the Tupperware. So not only is the fullness of God in Jesus, Jesus in me, but I'm in him. And that's not even the last Tupperware. Then I would take the last one, I'd it off, and I'd put God, and I'd just put it all in there and say, boom, this is us. Here we are. We're sealed. We're somewhere down in the middle here, but you can't really see me anymore. And if you see me, you're supposed to see Jesus in me. And, 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 right, and the reason you can't see me is because I'm buried in him and I'm sealed. And this is what Paul is saying here. It's the Greek word pleroma. Uh, play it means to be filled up completely to capacity. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. That's a big deal. Not only is Jesus preeminent and supreme in the universe, if you're in Christ, he dwells in you, and you in him. Now, in verses 11 through 15, Paul's gonna take us back to the gospel. Verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, circumcision was a physical thing, and it marked and it set apart God's people, but it was a personal thing, a private thing, right? So now, in the New Testament, what Paul is saying is you're still personally marked and set apart by Christ, but not with a circumcision made with human hands, right? So Christ has circumcised your hearts. He's changed your hearts, He's placed his mark on you and set you apart as his. This is why we encourage you in Christ to walk in a personal relationship with him, to speak to him daily, to listen to him daily, to read his word daily. But not only that, he says, listen, in him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, Then verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And we just saw that illustrated through baptism, right? That's now my public marking. That's me being set apart in public. I've been baptized so you know I'm in Christ and he is in me. And we see that illustration that the same way Jesus was buried and raised, so too am I. Like right now, that's true. The old me is dead and the new me is walking in life. But there's a day in the future where I will resurrect in bodily form too. That's why we call him the firstborn among many brothers. He's the first to resurrect from the dead that all who are in Christ would follow that. So Paul says, in him you have been baptized and set apart and marked publicly. Verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Yeah, before Christ, you were like a dead man walking, but through your faith in Christ, now you are a new creation. You've been made alive. And not only that, having forgiven us all our trespasses. 
Christian, how many of your sins were forgiven when you trusted in Christ? Yeah. All of them. Do you believe that? Like the darkest ones. It's why we no longer have to walk in hiding. It's why we can walk in the light and transparency and full vulnerability with one another. Because I know your sins have been forgiven too. So you need to share something with me that, 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 that puts you in a vulnerable position. You say, hey, here's where I'm weak. Here's where I'm struggling. The power of the gospel lets us do that. Why? Because all of my sins have been forgiven. All of them. Even the dark, ugly ones have been forgiven. Verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. We said earlier, God doesn't owe us anything, but be assured you owe him plenty. You owe him more than you can pay back. Do you know that? And what Jesus did on the cross, he said, hey, I'm gonna cancel all this debt for you along with the legal demands. I'm gonna pay it off for you. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is why we just sang the words, Jesus won, right? I mean, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, like that moment where his heart began to beat again and his lungs filled with air and he came back to life was more than just a biological feat. It was a spiritual feat. Right? In that moment, he conquered your greatest enemies. Sin, death, Satan, all were defeated in that moment. And Jesus stepped out of that tomb, preeminent and supreme. In Christ, he has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame when he stepped out of the grave. How humiliating for Satan. Of course he wanted to try to spin that into something that wasn't true because he was humiliated. You think about that from a demonic perspective. I thought we won, what's the deal here? Death didn't work because he triumphed over them. So here's what Paul reminds the church of. He's what he's reminding you of today. In him you have been filled with the fullness of Christ. In him you have been circumcised and set apart and marked personally. In him you have been baptized, set apart and marked publicly. In him, the old you has been put to death, buried with Christ. In him, you have been made alive and resurrected to walk in a new life. In him, he has forgiven your trespasses and he has canceled the record of your debt with its legal demands. In him, he has disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he has triumphed over every one of your enemies. Man, amen. Yeah. And here's Paul's point. I don't want you to be deluded, church. I don't want you to be enticed off the path you're on of becoming more and more like Jesus every day. So here's his conclusion. Listen, don't leave the gospel. This is who you are right now. This is true about you right now. So walk in it. Walk by faith in Christ. Just as you received Jesus, so now what? Walk in him. When you do that, you'll be rooted, you'll be built up, you'll be established. You will abound in thanksgiving and you will not be deluded, deceitfully led off course. I wanna land here today 
Um, and we're going to come back next week and pick up the book of Colossians. It'll take us through, I think, the end of July. Um, listen, if you're here today and, like, you know, you have not trusted in Christ as your Savior, listen, today is your day, okay? Now, we just talked about what you need to do, right? You just heard the gospel from me and from the Bible. Now it's all up to you just to believe it and to trust in Jesus and him alone. That's what saves you. That's what empowers you to walk on a daily basis with Christ. If that's you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna encourage you to make that decision before you leave today. You could stay seated and you could just pray in your own heart, Jesus, I wanna trust in you. I wanna, I wanna see you be preeminent. I wanna be in you and you and me and all that stuff that preacher guy just talked about. I want it to be true about me and so let's do it right now. You could come grab one of our prayer partners who will be at the front and the back. You say, listen, will you talk more with me about this? Will you pray with me as I make this decision? They'd be honored to do that. But if you're here today and you already are a Christian, today is the reminder, right? This is the reminder that establishes us, that roots us. It's not something we just get excited about on Sundays, but like this is what empowers you on Mondays, This is what's gonna project you forward in your sanctification process to become more and more like Christ. You need to wake up tomorrow and hear the gospel and believe it. When you look in the mirror and you're tempted to think that you're not loved, you're not accepted, all those not truths, how do you combat those things? Not with self-esteem, you combat them with the gospel that says, whoa, 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 whoa. You are loved, you are accepted, right? You belong to God. It's the gospel that meets us on a daily basis. We hear it, we believe it. And that's what transforms us into the image of Christ. So I want to pray for us now that God would work in our midst and and ultimately he would stir our faith. Worship team's coming forward. Prayer partners are coming forward. Uh, Let's get ready to respond. Father, I just confess how how easy it is for me to, to walk away from the gospel thinking that I already have it down. God, the reality is that we don't have it down yet. We've not fully made you supreme in our lives yet. We've not fully been transformed into the image of Jesus yet. We're so thankful, God, that you walk with us, you meet with us, you, God, you lavish us with grace on a daily basis. God, that we could every day become more and more what we already are in Christ. Father, the person here who doesn't know you, God, I pray right now you would begin stirring within them faith not a faith in this church or a faith in what they can do, but a faith in Christ and him alone, that you would lead them into salvation. And for the Christ followers in this room, like myself, God, I pray you would stir our faith. Again, not in the church, not in our personal philosophies, not in what we can accomplish in life, not in our church attendance or our giving or our good deeds, but God, would you stir within us this deep abiding faith in the gospel? God, help us to believe more deeply and more fully what Jesus has done for us. We pray all this in his powerful name.